0: Bundled savings vary are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
1: With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Jason T so they know I sent you. Twenty-one plus and present in present Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in fourteen days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. one 877 770 Stop in Louisiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467 369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Lakers Tonight, presented by FanDuel here on The Volume. I am Jason Timp. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope you're all having a great week. We finally got a competitive-ish Lakers game. Like, there was at least a stretch of the game where it seemed like two NBA teams were playing against each other. That's a good sign. We're going to get to everything that happened in that game. I want to talk about that incredible thriller in Brooklyn between Luca and KD and the Mavs and the Nets and some of the interesting things that I noticed in that game. And then I've been doing a lot of deep dive into the film of the Sixers as of late. They had another somewhat lackluster win on the road against the shorthanded Cleveland Cavaliers tonight. They haven't looked great in the last week. So I wanted to dive into some of the reasons why that is the case in my opinion. So stick around for the end for that, but let's start with some Lakers. So, you know, as I've, commonly said over the course of this season leadership involves so many different things as it pertains to the way it can impact your team and i have said on the record on this show that even though i lebron's my favorite player he's always been my favorite player and i think he is probably the number one guy i'd take for a playoff series right now if i needed him and i very well think he could be the greatest basketball player of all time but He's one of the worst guys that you could possibly have to lead a team that doesn't have a real chance to win a championship. Because while LeBron is psychotically competitive when things are, when he has a chance, when he can smell blood in the water, he's kind of the exact opposite when he can tell that the team has no real chance. And over the course of this last stretch of game since the All Star break, he's struggled with having consistent effort, particularly on the defensive end of the ball. And when you have a team like this that has a lot of veteran players, guys that are established in this league, guys who have a lottery background, and there's a bunch of guys like that on the team, Stanley Johnson, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, these are all guys that were lottery picks at various, po- and at various points in their careers were considered the future of a franchise or even a superstar in the league. And so those kinds of guys are not chip on their shoulder, like self-starter type of guys. They're going to follow their leader. And I think that's been a big part of how the defense for the Lakers has struggled so much in recent weeks. But tonight, in the first few possessions of the game, LeBron made a couple of key defensive rotations. There was a pick and roll with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell where, as Cat was rolling down the lane, LeBron put his body on the line and took a charge. And almost immediately, it set a different tone for the entire game. Now, the Lakers still had extended stretches of sloppy defense throughout the game – But the overall tone of the game was more serious. The Lakers actually made an attempt to try to win. And at the end of the day, even though they lost, and when they lost, it got ugly, at least it was a respectable product for the most part that they put on the court. Now, after the effort comes all of the scheme. After the effort comes all of the habits. After the effort comes all of the talent. And those are three areas where the Lakers are extremely weak. So they're going to lose games. This is a good... Minnesota Timberwolves team this is not the Minnesota Timberwolves teams of the previous decade that were kind of the laughing stock of the NBA this is a team that has a good amount of size and athleticism especially on the wing guys like Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt don't get enough credit although McDaniels, McDaniels is hurt right now but they're very athletic they're big they, uh, Patrick Beverly has done a really good job of transitioning the culture of that team from a team that was less competitive and less serious into a team that was more serious and their home crowd is a lot to deal with. And obviously, Carl Anthony Towns, say what you want about the guy. He has defensive shortcomings. He's a bit of a shit talker. But when he's got it going, he's one of the best players in the league. And he can be very difficult to handle, especially for those small Laker lineups that are so limited in their ability to handle real interior presences, just like we saw the other day with DeAndre Ayton. But the Lakers have an obvious personnel issue that was going to be a problem in, in any of these matchups against good teams. I think 10 of their last 14 games are against teams over 500. The Lakers are going to be at a personnel disadvantage in just about every single one of those games. You know, the, uh, we talked about um, uh, habits, right? Like the, at the end of that game, the Lakers get back within, I think they got within five, you get back into the game, you're right there. And then it's a couple of missed defensive rotations. There was a play. I'm not trying to pick on Russ here, but there's a play I, I shared on my Twitter feed where Russ gets beat back door because he's just standing in a non-defensive stance, just staring at the ball. And as his man gets beat back door, he's late to understand that. LeBron's like screaming at him to switch out to the corner, but he doesn't. And the Lakers gave up a wide open three that ended up being the dagger that put Minnesota back up by 10. And as a res- when you have sloppy habits and you have a scheme that doesn't work with your specific set of talent and you don't have talent, then, yeah, even effort cannot be enough. And just like in that first quarter when the Lakers were trying so hard on defense, I think they were down 15 at the end of the first quarter. So I understand why this team has let go of the rope. I understand why LeBron doesn't feel like it's worth it. He just sees the writing on the wall. Why Why would you try harder to just get blown out by less than you would have gotten blown out by anyway? And I get why that's frustrating. For me, it's all about establishing something that you can build on. For next season, like, uh, for instance, like, I'm really having a hard time watching Russell Westbrook continue to flounder the way he is when he's not going to be a Laker next year. He clearly is distancing himself from the locker room and from the coaching staff, and he's clearly going through something mentally, which, uh, again, you have to sympathize with him and and the struggles he's had this season, but he's not going to be a Laker next year. So at a certain point, what can you gain? And what I think is important is you have guys coming back. Talon Horton Tucker is under contract next year. He's coming back. Austin Reeves is under contract next year. You have Stanley Johnson under a team-controlled deal. I would lean as much as you can into guys that could potentially come back next year so at least you can get a look at them and get a feel for what's usable and what's not. For instance, Talon Horton Tucker, over the course of the next stretch of games, has an opportunity to get a lot of on-ball reps. He's struggling mightily off the ball. I tweeted out earlier today he's shooting below 30% on wide open threes this year with a defender at least six feet away. That's not a functional off-ball threat. That's a real problem. So a THT is kind of more of an on-ball player. Get him lots of on-ball reps, have him build out that part of his game, and then maybe it'll raise his value to a point where he's either usable as an on-ball threat next year for a title contender or someone that you can trade to a team that has a more future Focus. But at a certain point here what you saw tonight was the best effort from the Lakers in the last week and they still got rolled. So read the writing on the wall, understand the reality of your predicament and try to play into things that are going to be translatable to the future things that are going to be usable for next year's team. I had one last thing that I wanted to touch on with the Lakers before we move on and it just has to do with what I think is the most important lesson that the Lakers have to learn from this year when it comes to roster building. And it has to do with the fact that you're operating in the veteran minimum market. So you when you are capped out, when you're over the cap, you basically have three ways to sign guys for over a veteran minimum. You can use bird rights. So if you already have a player under contract, you can sign him for more than that amount the next year based on how many years he's been with the team. You can use a mid-level exception at a varying level depending on whether or not you want to hard cap your team. That lets you pay basically double what a veteran minimum contract is up to about $10 if you're willing to hard cap yourself. And then you have the veteran minimum markets. You're highly limited in what you can do around your superstars when you have $120 million tied up in your three stars. And the Lakers this year went out of their way to try to bring in shooting with those veteran minimum contracts. There's guys like Carmelo Anthony, guys like Malik Monk, guys like Wayne Ellington. And they did this as a reaction to what happened in the Phoenix series. You guys remember in the Phoenix series, after Anthony Davis went down, Phoenix was absolutely abandoning everybody to load up in the paint. And both Dennis Schroeder and LeBron James were struggling to get to the basket, which turned them both into jump shooters. And LeBron's a good jump shooter, but Dennis Schroeder's a bad jump shooter, and it didn't go well, right? <clears throat> so they reacted to that by trying to bring in shooting. The problem is this season – Frank Vogel has noticed, and all of us have noticed, you can't run a functional NBA lineup with guys that can't guard when you have multiple guys on the floor that can't guard. And all of these shooters the Lakers signed can't guard. So they brought in this shooting to try to give space for LeBron to feel comfortable going to the basket, for Russ to feel comfortable going to the basket, for Anthony Davis to feel comfortable going to the basket, and it hasn't worked out because they haven't been able to have their shooting on the floor because of the obvious defensive shortcomings that's come from that. And then this is a separate topic, but the the Russ problem has been there too. You have shooters on the floor, but when Russ is a complete waste of an off-ball thread, it kind of puts you in the same predicament you'd have if you didn't have shooting on the floor anyway. But what's interesting is you what you need is guys that can shoot and play defense, right? But if you can shoot and play defense, you're not making a veteran minimum contract you're not making the mid-level exception, you're not available. If you can shoot and play defense, you're making over $10 million a year in this league. That's what Danny Green got when he came to the Lakers. That's what guys like Mikhail Bridges are getting right now. That's what guys like Cam Johnson are getting right now. If you can play two ways and shoot the ball, you're too valuable to be someone that the Lakers can target on the fringe. So you have to pick between guys that can defend and guys that can shoot. And I think the most valuable lesson the Lakers have learned this year is you can't take the guys that can shoot because the problem, because it becomes athletically, you can't hang in this five out NBA. I've talked about this a lot on the show. When the, when these teams go five out and it's all dribble, drive and attack, you have to have guys that can contain on the perimeter guys that can move their feet and keep their man in front. And if they give up a drive, they have to be willing to do the necessary work to rotate and recover on the back end. I'm going to get to that in a little bit here with the Dallas Mavericks. This team has been utterly lacking in that area. And you're better off bringing, I'll give you an example, a guy like Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews played for the Lakers last year, didn't shoot well, after shooting pretty well in previous seasons with the Milwaukee Bucks. But he was still a very productive player because the Lakers understood that he was doing the job defensively that they needed him to do. And relative, So let's say Wesley Matthews shoots 35% on wide-open threes, but a guy like Malik Monk can shoot 42% on him it's easier to make up for that difference in shooting on the offensive end than it is to make up for what wesley matthews can bring as a defensive player as a cog in a system especially alongside players as defensively talented as lebron and anthony davis so it's been an interesting lesson for the lakers and i hope this next offseason they address that when you're looking for discounted players on the market favor discounted players that can play defense over discounted players that can play offense. And to be clear, I was more optimistic about this past offseason coming into the year. This is a lesson that I've had to learn as well. The league is changing. You can't operate without good perimeter defensive players anymore. It's okay. You, you, You learned a lesson. You messed up with Russ. You messed up on some of these other signings on the periphery. Learn your lesson. Move on. Just don't make the same mistake again this summer. Bring in defensive players. Try to recreate that culture that you had in 2020 with LeBron and AD. Make another run at it next year, and I like their chances. Start your bracket with a bang. Right now, FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers a $150 instant bonus guaranteed. That's right. You'll get $150 in bonus site credit, and all you have to do is place your first bet of $5 or more. How you bet the bracket is up to you. You could choose from the money line, totals, prop bets, and so much more. I'm going to be all over Arizona. I'm from Tucson. They have NBA size and athleticism. I think their defense is going to carry them. Plus, with the cash out, the ball's in your court, so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the game is even over. Join FanDuel today with promo code JasonT. Then you can place your $5 bet to score $150 in bonus site credit Guaranteed. That's promo code Jason T on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. 1-800 Gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877 770 Stop in Louisiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 877 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY to 467 369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.
0: Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7
1: U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor... has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I dot com, or download the app today. For those of you who are just joining us, this is Lakers tonight, presented by FanDuel here at the Volume. I want to move on from the Lakers to talk about that Nets Mavs game, which was incredible. This is the second absolutely gigantic win in a super competitive, hostile road environment. For the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday, they had that huge win 95-92 over the Boston Celtics. And then tonight they went at the buzzer against Brooklyn. These are two massive wins for this team. And I think it's super interesting to see how they're doing this because they're doing it on the defensive end. I know they gave up a lot of points tonight, but in the fourth quarter, when things really got grinded to a halt, the Mavericks defended extremely well. If you go on my Twitter feed and you scroll down on the videos, I did a video. Three, four days ago, after that Sunday game, where, uh, where I broke down just how Dallas is getting these stops. And it really comes down to doubling and recovering. If you have personnel, like, they're the opposite of Boston. Boston has all these good defensive players. I just released a video about them today for the volume. They always have five really good defensive players on the floor. So they don't have to double. They switch everything, and it's, hey, pick your poison. Do you want to guard a guy like Marcus Smart who's short, but that's a bulldog and keep you in front and is super physical? Or do you want to attack a taller, slower guy, you know, uh, 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 but have struggles because he's athletic and can cover ground with his length? You know, we've seen that a lot with Robert Williams, who's doing a really nice job in their switching scheme. They're going to man you up most of the time. A team like Dallas doesn't have that defensive personnel, though. Spencer Dinwiddie's not a great defensive player. Jalen Brunson's not a great defensive player, Luka Doncic is not a great defensive player. Maxine Kleba is not a great defensive player. But they're getting stops with that group because instead of operating in one-on-one situations, they are doubling the other team's best player every time down the floor. They doubled Tatum the entire fourth quarter in Boston on Sunday. They doubled Kevin Durant on almost every single possession in the fourth quarter tonight. And what they've done is they've gotten their – rotations on the back end down to a science. And it's really just about effort and focus and communication. With my high school team, we do this drill to practice this, where we basically play four on three. And the three guys on defense, as the, the guys on the offense are swinging the ball around, it's chaos. And as I'm coaching the kids, I tell them, like, this is supposed to be chaos. There's no exact science. There's no place you're supposed to go. You just have to talk and play extremely hard. And you can make up for that ground. And then they do other little things like as soon as Tatum will pick up his dribble or as soon as Kevin Durant will pick up his dribble, one of the guy that guys that's double teaming will pre-rotate and leave and start rotating around to get ahead of that first pass. They've done that to beat a lot of those first passes out of the double team. But I've been really impressed in general with the way that Dallas has manufactured a basically what amounts to a fake defense, meaning – they're achi- they're massively overachieving defensively over what their personnel should be able to do. It's a massive credit to Jason Kidd. You know, I was talking about this with my father in law earlier, you know, the, the, the Jason Kidd had a really rough time in Milwaukee and it formed this really nasty reputation around him. And it's really not fair because if you think throughout sports history, almost every coach in their first stint doesn't do well. Bill Belichick, didn't do well in his first coaching stint in the NFL. Even you know, uh, look at Ty Lu. He got fired from the Cavs. It wasn't a great fit after LeBron left. You have to learn as a coach. You have to you have to fall on your face to become more adaptable, to become more malleable. And Jason Kidd, who was a bad coach in Milwaukee and had some bad ideas and kind of nuked his reputation a bit, has become a very good coach in Dallas. And I think it's a valuable lesson. For us to learn there and then lastly just a credit to the players it's a lot of work to constantly be double teaming and rotating it's a lot of sprinting a lot of cutting it's exhausting and those guys have just bought in and they're just doing it and it's working and then on the other end of the floor it's all about luca with that extra threat in the early fourth quarter, Jalen Brunson did what Jalen Brunson does, creates offense while Luka's off the floor. That is very similar to what they had in previous years. But Spencer did what he just gives them one more guy who might be able to attack a matchup and who has the confidence to make shots when they matter. On that last possession, the Nets doubled Luka Doncic at the top of the key. They actually did a really nice job. As soon as KD rotated up to double on Luka, Goran Drocic came out of the corner off of Dorian Finney-Smith and was right at Spencer Dinwiddie as the pass was there. It was perfectly defended. Spencer Dinwiddie should have swung it one more time, but because of the way they timed their double team, even if Dorian Finney-Smith caught it and shot it out of the corner, they might not have had time to get it off. So it was a really smartly designed double team. But Spencer Dinwiddie is a very confident offensive player. He always, he's one of those guys that he probably thinks he's one of the best players on the floor. And he just rose up over that contest and elevated like, I know I'm going to make this shit. And that's the advantage of having those types of alpha dog egos on the floor alongside your superstar so that he has somebody that he can count on in those biggest moments. This team is dangerous, extremely dangerous because of what they can do defensively, the stuff that translates to the postseason and their ability to attack matchups. They are at the end of that game. The shots Luka was getting, attacking Goran Drajic out of those switches, those are fantastic looks, and those are the kind of looks that they're going to be able to get in any postseason series. That is very reliable stuff. I'm a big believer in Dallas. They are dangerous. I wanted to talk about the Brooklyn Nets for just a second before we move on. We had this really weird report come out today saying that every time Ben Simmons has attempted to ramp up Right in that first or second day, he's experiencing inflammation in his spine. That's really scary. He got an epidural shot. That's really scary. He's allegedly not going to come back until there's a few games left in the regular season. To me, it doesn't necessarily make it so that the Nets can't win the title, but it is a little bit more of a concern. As I've talked about in my film studies with the Nets, They are struggling a little bit with that Bruce Brown, Andre Drummond, Nick Claxton role. When they have one or two of those guys on the floor, there's a little bit of an offensive limitation. Ben Simmons is a better defensive player than any of those guys, and he's a much, much, much better offensive player. Even though we like to slander him, even though we make fun of him for not shooting, he is a much better offensive player than those guys. So being able to get him on the court and use him this year is a significant ceiling raiser for them. So if he's not available, of course that lessens their chances. But look at how good Kevin Durant looked tonight. I thought he missed a couple of easy shots that he normally makes. There's a little one-legged fadeaway he shot from the left elbow that he left just barely short. That's a really good shot for KD that he's going to make eight times out of ten. He had another fadeaway going to the right along the baseline that he always makes that he misses. He missed a layup right at the rim in the middle of the fourth quarter. So KD didn't even make shots that he normally made, but he still did enough to win that game, had that huge 3 to take the lead late. They just Spencer didn't what he made a huge shot. But I'm never going to write off KD. I think he's the best player in the world. I would not write off this team, but the lack of Ben Simmons is definitely a concern. And it's something that absolutely lowers that ceiling. And like I always talk about, the difference between these teams, when you get to that top tier, when we're splitting the difference between Milwaukee and Brooklyn and Philly and Phoenix and Golden State, when you're with that group, nobody's going to beat anybody in a sweep there. No one's going to run rush shot over any of those teams. Those teams are going to go down in a battle of a playoff series, and it's going to be very close. And so having every single advantage available is important to giving yourself the best chance to win those matchups. And if Ben Simmons can't go, that lessens those chances. All right, before we get out of here, I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive into the Philadelphia 76ers. I've been watching a lot of film of them late uh, of late. Uh, tomorrow, keep an eye on my Twitter feed. I have a video video coming out that's going to break down the Jokic and Bede battle and some of the lessons that I learned from watching that. But Philly's not playing good basketball now, which is ironic because they came out gangbusters in that first week after the trade. They lost to Brooklyn ugly. They blew that lead to Denver. That, that They had Denver dead to rights and blew that game. And then uh, they uh, took overtime to win in Orlando, and they were trailing much of the third, qu- uh, fourth quarter tonight against Cleveland without Jared Allen. And with Philly's defense and with uh, Cleveland's lack of offensive creation, They should have been able to win that game by a lot, and they didn't. Philly doesn't look great right now, and there's a couple of reasons why, and I wanted to get to those really quick. First, to me, is James Harden being a lesser version of himself. When James Harden is at his best, he's primarily trying to get to the rim. He is relentless in his rim pressure, and everything else plays off of that. His passing plays off of that, his floater game plays off of that, and his step back plays off of that. But there's this alter ego of James Harden when he's not putting that kind of pressure on the rim, where it seems like he's trying to get to his step back. And defenders will overplay up into his step back, and he still won't drive past them. Or when he does drive past them, either in isolation or out of a pick and roll, instead of aggressively attacking the rim, he starts to kind of slowly meander into the paint, and he's just too passive. He's not applying enough rim pressure. And as a result of that, their offense has stilted a little bit, especially in big moments. This, and the only way this is going to work out, the only way Philly is going to be able to win it all is if you get 2018 James Harden. And the only way that's going to happen is if he gets into shape and starts putting his head down and going to the basket again. That's something to keep an eye on. Also, on the defensive end of the floor, you know, against the Knicks and against the Timberwolves and some of those weaker opponents that the, they, they played right after the trade – Harden can kind of float around. But when you're playing against these better offensive teams like Denver and like Brooklyn, you need to get more out of James Harden defensively. They were consistently attacking him in screening actions. He always dies on every screen. There were some examples in the film that I'll show you guys tomorrow where a guy wouldn't even run off the screen. He'd run like three feet to the left of the screen. And instead of just chasing him around, I've seen Harden just run into the screen. Because it's almost like it gives him an excuse to be like, oh, well, I'm not in the play. I can't guard him. And they're going to need more out of James Harden defensively if they're going to really have a chance to get the trophy at the end of the day. And then uh, uh, moving on to Embiid for a quick second. He is really, really struggling with handling double teams. He does okay when they're one pass away. There was a huge play at the end of the game tonight where Laurie Markinen was guarding Embiid at the high post. They were only up by one. I think there was about a minute and a half left. And the Cavs doubled one pass away from the direction Embiid was facing, Embiid just threw a basic swing pass to Tyrese Maxey, and Tyrese Maxey made the dagger that ended up being the shot that kind of ended the game. That kind of thing Embiid is fine with. I thought it was a poor scheme there. You guys know me; I always say, if you're gonna double one pass away, then you have to pre-rotate, take away that first pass, so that they, ha- you have to make the guy who's getting doubled throw across the court because that allows you to apply ball pressure and gives you a better chance to rotate. In those situations, and I'll show this in the film tomorrow when you guys see the video, Embiid is really struggling seeing the open man two passes away, especially in the weak side corner. And it's really limiting them in a lot of these scenarios. There are a lot of Embiid double teams that are just getting swung back out to the perimeter and reset as opposed to ending in open shots, which is what they need to do. The reason why that's so important is, again, when you're playing the very best teams, we were talking about this with Jokic. Jokic did fantastic tonight against the Washington Wizards, a horrible defensive team, but he struggled like crazy against the uh, uh, the Philly defense and against the Golden State defense. He struggles against the length. That's where he has issues. Embiid, it's a similar thing. When you are in a playoff series against the Miami Heat or the Boston Celtics, you are going to face so much length and athleticism defensively that there's not gonna be a lot of openings and you're going to have to be able to make those reads. It's what's made LeBron the greatest basketball player potentially of all time. It's why I've always leaned towards high-end playmakers when I'm evaluating players, because in a postseason series, they don't let you operate in one-on-one a lot. It's a lot of double teams. It's a lot of help defenses, a lot of help defense, and the guys that can read that and identify the cracks in the defense and make you pay for sending help, Those are the guys that succeed at the highest level. That's a big part of why I think KD has been so much better as of late. He's taken leaps and bounds as a passer out of double teams and out of drives to the rim, and that's opened things up for him all over the floor. Last little note on the Sixers, they are really struggling with Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris finding out where they fit in the offense. There are a lot of possessions where Tobias is like, I think it's my turn, I'm just going to go. There are a lot of possessions where James Harden wants the ball to run a screening action, but Tyrese Maxey just kind of goes and does his own thing. Those kinds of things take time to iron out. And over time, that offensive fit will make sense. Those are two guys that are massively, massively overqualified for the offensive role they're playing right now. Tyrese Maxey is a great perimeter initiator and a great ball handler out of pick and roll. He's gonna get fewer opportunities. That's that's something you have to work around. That's something he's gotta have to learn. He's gotta learn how to be a better off-ball player because on this team, that's what he's gonna need. Same goes with Tobias Harris. Hey man, you don't get to just break off of the offense and do 17 and do seven post-ups every game because it's bad for their offense with all the talent they have on the floor. Over time, they'll sort that out. But those are the big things. Harden's gotta get better on defense, Harden's gotta start getting down to the rim again, and Bede's gotta pass better out of these double teams and Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey have to do a better job figuring out where they fit in the offense. They're trending down right now. I still have them as a top-tier contender. They just got to get their shit together. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. I sincerely appreciate your support as always. We have two shows, Friday and Saturday this weekend. I hope you guys will join us then. As always, I appreciate your support, and we will see you in a couple of days.